Continuing in our series in Leviticus, we come this morning to Leviticus chapter 12, and our New Testament complementary passage is Luke's Gospel, the second chapter, beginning in verse 15. So if you'd open your Bibles to Luke's Gospel in the second chapter, in honor of God's Word, please stand. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 15, hear God's word. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. As far in the reading of God's word, please turn to Leviticus chapter 12 in continuing in the reading of God's word. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, If a woman conceives and bears a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days, as at the time of her menstruation she shall be unclean. And on the eighth day the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. Then she shall continue for thirty-three days in the blood of her purifying. She shall not touch anything holy, nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purifying are completed. But if she bears a female child, then she shall be unclean two weeks, as in her menstruation. And she shall continue in the blood of her purifying for sixty-six days. And when the days of her purifying are completed, whether for a son or for a daughter, she shall bring to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting a lamb a year old for a burnt offering and a pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering. And he shall offer it before the Lord and make atonement for her. Then she shall be clean from the flow of her blood. This is the law for her who bears a child, either male or female. If she cannot afford a lamb, then she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement for her, and she shall be clean. As far in the reading of God's word, let us pray. Father, your word is bold, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. And we pray that we may see your glory and be conformed unto your image. In Christ's name, amen. Please be seated. I don't think that I have to spend any time whatsoever convincing anyone that there is pain in this world, that there is hurt in this world, that there is tragedy in this world, all the way from the external to the very deepest, private, most personal, there is brokenness, and every single one of us deal with it. 
Every single individual deals with the hurt, with the injustice, with sometimes the physical and literal pain, with the aspirations, the hopes, unrealized. We all acknowledge that there is a lot of yuck that is external, that we have to deal with. Now, one of the things I love about the Bible, one of the things I love about Christianity, is that it is so brutally realistic. The, the, the fool who said that Christianity is the opioid of the masses, the fool who said that, didn't realize how brutally honest and realistic God's word is. In these passages, and again, I guess just to, to start from the, from the bigger picture, and then we're going we're gonna to come down. I want to give you kind of a roadmap for what, what I'm wanting to do this morning. We're going to start from the bigger picture, and then we're going to come down. We're going to focus on just three elements of this portrait that's painted in in chapter 12. Three elements of this process that that we're going to look at of this amazing portrait. But let's step back so that we understand what the portrait is. If we step back, you'll remember that the entire tabernacle process is about how to re-enter Eden. The entire building of the tabernacle is about how to come back into this place of peace and mercy and security and all of that. And so you've got all of Exodus until Exodus chapter 40, the very end of it, God's glory enters the tabernacle and we're told specifically that Moses cannot. He cannot enter into the tabernacle. He is left outside. And so Leviticus begins the question of how do we get back into the tabernacle? How do we enter back into, how do we come into this place? There's the promise of a place of healing and peace and hope. How do we get there? And so the first several chapters of the book of Leviticus speak about the various offerings, burnt offerings and peace offerings and sacrifice offerings and and the various things that those offerings represent. And then we come to chapter 9 where Aaron and his sons are dedicated to the priesthood. And then, of course, the very next chapter they collapse. All five of them. Blow it. Then, beginning in chapter 11, so we just read chapter 12. Beginning in chapter 11... Moses begins to deal with this problem of sin because surely if we could have lived Eden lives, then Nadab and Abihu and Aaron and Eleazar and Ithamar could have started something wonderful, couldn't they? And yet they fell. And so Moses starts kind of this extended study of So what is broken? What is yuck? What is this thing that is not right? 
This thing that brings hurt, this thing that brings pain, this thing that brings disappointment, it brings it on the macro level, and it brings it on the micro level. It brings it externally, and it brings it in our hearts. The pain, the hurt. What is this thing? And so in chapter 11, he deals with the issue of here in the promised land, land flowing with milk and honey, land of refuge and peace and safety, land promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God bringing his people out of darkness and slavery with a mighty and outstretched hand and leading them to the promised land, it's so with corruption, like a sponge. There are unclean animals in the field. There are unclean birds in the sky. There are unclean bugs jumping all around us. There are unclean things in the streams. There are unclean things in the lakes. There are unclean things in the ocean. It's drenched. So how did it get there? How did it get there? Now, if you are any age approaching mine, (laughs) which may or may not be late 50s, then you know that not only you raised your children, but so did everybody else in America with the background soundtrack of Crosby, Stills, and Nash, teach your children well. Am I right? Does everybody over the age of 50, if I say, give me the a couple of lines from Crosby, Stills, and Nash, teach your children well, can you give me a couple of lines from it? You at least know how the tune goes. So let me ask you. I don't know when the song came out. Let's say 1975. That's a truly shot in the dark. I should have done some research. I didn't. (laughs) Shot in the dark. Let's say it's 1975. That would be what? 50 years? Have we seen 50 years of a society of parents who are diligently shaped around the concept of teaching their children well? Everybody's been listening to the tune in the back of their mind their entire lives. Have we seen the result of a glorious transformation in our young people? where we all joined in with Crosby, Stills, and Nash and said, we're going to teach our children well. (laughs) Why does the problem keep coming? Why is it again and again and again? Without further ado, let's look at this picture. Let's look at this picture that's before us in... Leviticus chapter 12, and I just want to note some interesting things, some things that pop out of this picture to me as I have looked at them, 
And hopefully, maybe you can see some other things that are fascinating about this picture as well. I, I no, by no means complimentary. But the first thing I want to draw your attention to is verse 2. If you would look with me at verse 2, if a woman conceives and bears a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days. As at the time of her menstruation, she shall be unclean. Now, I want you to think of every image that you have in your head, maybe from a manger scene, the classical image of a manger scene, all the way to if you are a parent, that first moment when you held this delightful little one and gazed upon that face for the first time, all right? What was clean and what was unclean? When you think of that scene, what do you think of as unclean? And when you think of that scene, what do you think of as clean? When you gaze upon that child's eyes or face for the first time, how could such a precious thing not be innocent? And so we talk about an innocent baby. Look again at verse 2. What is the clean and what is the unclean? If the woman bears the child, if it's male, she's unclean seven days. If it's female, she's unclean 14 days. It's the child that makes the mother unclean. Now, there's a sobering picture. What you and I think of in that whole process in terms of what is clean and what is unclean, is exactly the opposite of what God says is clean and is unclean. Because the clean and the unclean that he is speaking of is moral. And morally... The mother gives birth to this grotesque, black mass of sin. So grotesque that it makes her unclean. Now that's a visually striking image. That is a striking image. It is the child who makes the mother to be unclean. This beautiful baby, this toxic myth, mass of moral evil. It's the exact opposite of the emotions that you and I experience in the moment. It's the exact opposite of the relief, the laughter, the tears, the joy. It's the exact opposite of everything that you and I rightly experience from God's perspective. Moses 
Aaron and every Israelite since. The other thing I want you to see in verse 3, the other part of this picture. In verse 3, on the eighth day the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. Moses at the end of Exodus is standing outside the temple or a tabernacle. He cannot enter. Aaron and the priesthood have to be purified for seven days. That was Leviticus chapter 9. Seven days of purification before they can be priests. And then they are allowed to enter into the covenant mediatorship. They are allowed to enter into the office of saying, I bring you before God. Notice when the child is circumcised. For seven days... For seven days, every single solitary Israelite boy was placed outside God's covenant. Every single solitary Israelite boy for seven days was told, You're outside. In the dark. Moses, Aaron, everybody else, you are in the dark. Outside God's covenant promises. And it is on that seventh day that God says, I will be a God to you as well. And brings them into his covenant. For a full week, this beautiful child that we've longed for and laughed with and together and is a product of love and, and, and the, the, all the good that a child is. This beautiful, loving, beautiful child that you gave your heart in full abandonment to as soon as you gazed upon their face. Every single boy ever born out Side the covenant. And for a girl, twice as much. And that draws our attention to the third thing that I find just fascinating about this picture. Why is it that men, male children, are outside the covenant for seven days, and that female children are outside the covenant for 14 days? Why is that? Does God, you know, or, or women like only half as much in the image of God. <laughs> Why this? Why the difference? And the answer, I think, is both fascinating and it's beautiful. Because I think in, in, in each family, in each marriage, there is often a, a, a good and healthy and right desire. And, and this, is, this is, I think, just built into the nature of, of, of who we are as human beings. But for an Israelite, there was more. It was even more intense for an Israelite. Because every Israelite mother, from Eve, 
when she gave birth to Seth and said, this is the son of the covenant? From Eve all the way down to Mary, when she gave birth and said, this is Joshua. This is the true Joshua. The Jesus who will save his people from their sin. The great Redeemer, the longing cry of every mother from Eve till Mary had been, this son might be the one. This son might be the one. And that's why the distinction between the male and the female. It's not that one is more corrupt than the other, or vice versa. It is that every single time a child was born, a boy was born, every single boy might be the one. The longing from the garden, the longing from the oldest days, the longing that said, who will deliver us? Who will break the curse? Who will get rid? Who will crush the serpent's head? Someone has to. And the prophets cry out in Isaiah, we need a child. A child who is a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, a prince of peace. We need the child. We need Joshua. David is not enough. We need the perfect prophet and the perfect priest and the perfect king. This one for whom the nations longed. Every single mother in Israel from Eve to Mary hoped that maybe And then, it's, it's fascinating if you know the stories of the gospel. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. It's very intently descriptive of pregnancy. When, when all of time, think about that for a minute. <laughs> when all of time, all of it, had labored and produced the one who finally was the one. Notice how Luke says in chapter 2, he himself placed himself outside his own covenant. He's the one. He's the one who is the God of heaven and earth. And He is the one who is God. Come, taken on flesh and dwelt among us. And for seven days, just like every other one, He was outside. The very covenant that He made. 
Beloved, that's how much God identifies with you. That's how much Jesus Christ identifies with you. That's what union with Christ means. Union with Christ means that he identifies with you and me in such a fallen way that as a infant, he would place himself outside his covenant. Our shorter catechism says, wherein does Christ's humiliation consist? And the answer is, Christ's humiliation consists in his being born. He placed himself, beloved, outside his own covenant. (laughs) I, I, I don't know how to apply that. I don't know where to go from there. It's enough for me just to stop. He placed himself outside his own covenant for you and for me. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he loves me. So that you and I could be united to him in his humiliation, but beloved, in his exaltation. Because even as he identifies with you from the moment that he drew his first breath, so beloved, Paul tells us that you and I are risen with him. We are seated together with him in heavenly places. This Jesus Christ is our prophet, our priest, our king, our redeemer, and our friend. And this Jesus Christ who so loved you is the same Jesus Christ who so loves you. I think one of the saddest things, objections, if it is an objection to Christianity that I hear, is that Christianity is really kind of irrelevant. I I, I don't know, I don't know how. I don't know how it could be irrelevant. I honestly don't. To know that God looks at brokenness, that he looks at sin, that he looks at the yuck, and he says, it is there. It absolutely is there. Not only is it there, I'm not trying to get you high and make you, you know, wave your arms and forget all about it for a minute. No, the yuck is there. Not only is it there, it permeates everything around us. Not only is it there, it will always be there. Because every child that comes out is another bit of the yuck. God's word deals brutally with reality. But beloved, it deals so brutally with reality. Because when the fullness of time had come, this one who placed himself outside the very covenant he made did so so that you and I may enter in. So that you and I may know what it is to dwell in the holy place. So that you and I may know the peace that comes from the communion with His saints. 
the communion by His Word and Spirit, so that you and I can know that peace that does pass understanding. Beloved, there's a reason that Jesus was there in the boat with the disciples on the Sea of Galilee. And it wasn't just an accident. He was there so that his disciples would know that when the waves overwhelm, when the storm is fierce, and when you are about to drown, he is the one who says to the wind and the waves, Peace, be still. He's so identified. With you and me. He so does today. He lifts you up. He's our intercessor. He lifts you up before his father's throne. He says to his father, I identified with them in my crucifixion. So that the picture that I'm going to leave behind for them is going to be a reminder of what I did for them. Mighty God and gracious Heavenly Father, you who have promised us from the beginning that even though the serpent writhes, his head will be crushed. Continue us in that hope. And grant that this week, Father, we may be part of that great testimony of the sin that is crushed in our lives. In Christ's name, amen.